Welcome to the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. All right, before we dive in, let's pray. Dear Lord, we, uh, Lord, as we come into your word, your living word, Lord, just one of the ways that you speak to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do it only you could do. Move in only the way that you could move. Speak in only the way that you could speak. Father, I pray that your words would penetrate our hearts and our souls. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. You are my rock and my redeemer. In your son, Jesus' name, amen. I remember the day it did not live up to my expectations. Maybe you've had days like that where you just expected it to be awesome. You expected it to go a certain way, and then it doesn't. Maybe you're disappointed, you're just shocked, you're upset. I just remember that day was this powerful day that did not meet my expectations. My wife and I had been praying for about a year trying to figure out what God was calling us into. It was about a year-long process, praying together, diving into the book of Acts. We, we were going through this wrestling moment, didn't know if like, God was still ha- wanted us here at Life Church. didn't know if God still wanted us in, in northern Nevada. We didn't know if God was calling us somewhere else. And, and so we were diving into the book of Acts because I started to interview at churches around the country. And we started to dive into the book of Acts to figure out, okay, what kind of church do we want to be a part of? Let's go back to the early church, what they did, what they were called to do, what the church should look like. And let's only talk to churches that kind of are about these things. And I flew out to a couple of those churches, spent time with their staffs, uh, taught at some of those churches. One of them was about to hire me. And uh, I remember having this expectation like, hey, God, I need you to show up. I need you to speak clearly because I don't have confidence in anything I'm doing right now, and I don't want to go to this church in another state if that's not where you want us to go, but I I, I don't have any confidence. So God, here's what I need you to do. God, I need you to part the clouds, the sun to only shine on me, and then the voice of Mufasa to come out. God, here's what I need you to do. God, I I need this like earth-shattering, earthquake type of moment so I can understand that it's you. God, here's what I need. I'm in my backyard. I'm praying. If fire from heaven could come down and light my bush on fire, that'd be really helpful. Like I had this expectation, like, God, I needed this powerful, supernatural type of experience to understand his voice clearly, to hear from him clearly. And I remember the day I was driving over to Carson City and I was, I was going over the hill, kind of going down into Washoe Valley. And the, the reason was is because I was going to meet the bronze and some other people there. We were just going to pray over the campus. So God, if this, is, if this is what you want, for this to be a Life Church campus, then let, that, then let that happen. It's crazy. Today, Pastor Dave, the bronze, some of our other staff, they're all in Carson's at that campus right now because today we're having our first preview service. Um, and so, Yeah. And so we were, I, was just, I was just driving there to go pray. And I had this weird feeling inside of me like homesickness. I'm not really like, I, I don't care where we live. I don't care where we moved. Like I just, it doesn't, I don't really get this homesickness feeling. I had like this feeling of like I was leaving where I was supposed to be. 
I called my wife and I said, hey, I got this weird feeling like I'm, I'm, I'm homesick uh, and it's really weird because I'm just driving to Carson for a few hours and coming back. Like I'm not hopping on a plane. I'm not going out of state. Like I'm, I'm literally not really going anywhere. I'm still in Northern Nevada. It's just gonna be for a few hours. And I was like, hey, we'll talk about it when I get home. I get home later that night, her and I are chatting and, and processing through like what that was. And a few weeks prior, she had had a similar kind of feeling when she was driving to Carson. And we were trying to figure out, like, what is this? Kind of at the end of that conversation, we just settled on, is God speaking to us with this whisper? Is God speaking to us in a soft, still voice? What is that? Last week, we ended our series looking at God's passion, our purpose. Uh, In a few weeks, on October 15th, man, we kick off a new series, I Am so excited for. I hope you are here on October 15th. It is a series that we have been working extremely hard on. We are very excited for that series. But today is a standalone message. And in a standalone, you kind of just go with, okay, God, what are you doing in my heart? What, is, uh, what are you doing in the life of our church? What do we want to hear from you? Or what do you, th- what do you need to, your people to hear? And I, I titled this sermon, Divine Dialogue how God speaks versus our earthly expectations. Because I think we expect God to speak in certain ways, and if he doesn't meet our expectations, we think he's not speaking. And I don't think that's actually true. I think maybe it's our expectations that are causing us to miss the voice of God. You see, I think we expect a thunderous voice, but God often speaks in a whisper. You have your Bibles open up to 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 4. says, then the Lord called Samuel. He said, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time. And he arose. He went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if, you, if he calls you, you shall sp- say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. Listen, you've got to understand the context of what's happening right now. Okay. This is a moment where God is calling Samuel. Samuel doesn't recognize it's God. It almost is like this low whisper of a voice in the call. But what has gone on in the nation of Israel is this is going to be the first prophet God calls since Moses to speak for the people. Most theologians, Bible scholars believe it is 450 plus years since God has called a prophet. He's called judges, people to come and judge the nation before, for the sins of what they're doing. But this is a prophet, the one who speaks for God. And so if God is going to call somebody four centuries later, you would think the clouds are parting, sun is gonna shine down on Samuel and it's gonna be Mufasa speaking, telling everybody in the nation, He is my prophet. He speaks for me. This is a man of God. You would think it'd be Samuel. Not this whisper. So I can understand Samuel, both his confusion in the moment, but also where God doesn't meet the expectation of this moment. For four centuries, the nation has been waiting for a prophet. 
For four centuries, they've been waiting. And he shows up with a whisper. Their expectation versus how God shows up. You see, I think when we look at our, the expectations of how we want God to speak, it's because we look at stories like in Exodus and Moses in the burning bush. We look at stories like Exodus where God shows up of a, of a pillar of, by, of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, where he leads the Israelites out of Egypt, or when he shows up on Mount Sinai and it's fire and smoke engulfing the mountain. Like, I think we see those and like, oh, that's when God shows up. That's when God speaks. We look at Leviticus and when, when God comes down in fire and burns up the offering, or we look at the fall of Jericho in the book of Joshua, and it's the, the, the trumpets and the, the, the band that's walking around and the noise that they're making around the city that the great city falls. I think we look at Old Testament scripture or biblical passages where we see these supernatural, powerful moments, and we think or expect that is how God speaks and only how God speaks. Yet we miss Samuel, Samuel. We miss the call of Abraham. We miss these times where God is also speaking more in a whisper. You see, I think over and over, we see these powerful moments of God, these powerful displays of who he is and his voice. And we expect the same thing to happen to us. But I think God speaks in a whisper on purpose. There's lots of noise in our world. Listen, our world is discipling us to something. Sexuality. Identify it how you want it, do with it what you want, when you want, with who you want. Prosperity, make as much money as you can to buy all the things you can because true happiness in this world is, is wrapped up in your material things. Entertainment, as long as you enjoy it, there's nothing wrong with this. So whatever you want to watch, whatever you want to intake, whatever you want to indulge in, whatever type of entertainment you want to enjoy, as long as you like it, it's good. Relationships. Any conflict in a relationship, marriage, friendship, relationships with family, relationship with coworkers, relationship in the church, any type of conflict, it's just better for you to kick that person to the side that you are the most important person in the world, that the world revolves around you. And so when it comes to anything difficult in a relationship, actually, Christian, there's a thing called the ministry of reconciliation that actually we're called to reconcile things, that we're actually called to work through things that there's conflict resolution, not just conflict. But no, the way the world disciples us is, hey, any kind of conflict, you kick them to the side, act like they don't care. You see, our world disciples us to something, and it is extremely, extremely loud. I think God speaks in a whisper on purpose because another loud voice sounds like the rest. But there's something that sticks out about a soft whisper. There's something that sticks out about that soft still voice. And don't miss Samuel's response. Speak for your servant hears. There's something special about Samuel's response. He does Listen, I, I pray, hey God, here's my concerns, here's my worries, here's my fears, here's my hopes, here's my dreams. But the response of Samuel is, I just want to hear from you. Lord, I just want to hear from you. So speak. I'm listening. You see, I think I want this thunderous voice but what I really need is that soft, still voice that's filled with compassion and grace. I think we expect supernatural, but God comes with grace. In 1 Kings 19, verse 4, 
talking about Elijah, it says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down, slept under a broom tree. Behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time, touched him and said, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food, 40 days, 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Listen, you have to understand the context here. Before 1 Kings 19, it's chapter 18. In chapter 18, Elijah has just had one of the most epic victories in history. Three years before chapter 18, Elijah shows up on the scene, shows up to the wicked king Ahab, walks up to Ahab who married the wicked king Jezebel, Queen Jezebel. Ahab brought in Jezebel, told Jezebel, the nation will worship whatever gods you wanna bring in. So Jezebel walks up and she goes, here's our gods that we're gonna worship, Baal. Baal's the god of the weather. In an agricultural society, that is the God of prosperity because they need, they need the rain and the sun for their crops to grow, for them to flourish as a society. And so she brings in the God of prosperity. She also brings in the goddess Asherah. Asherah is the goddess of fertility. So here's who she holds up. Prosperity is sexuality. That's what, we're gonna, that, that's what we're gonna worship. And Elijah shows up on the scene and says, it won't rain for three years until my God says so. And then Elijah disappears. And for three years, the nation goes through a drought, no rain, economic collapse, complete collapse of society for them. And then chapter 18, Elijah walks back on the scene, says, hey, my God said it's going to rain. But before it rains, why don't you grab all the prophets of your king Baal, or, or your God Baal? Meet me at Mount Carmel. And so they go to Mount Carmel. Elijah goes, you guys set up an altar? I'll set up an altar. So they all, they, the, the, the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, set up their altar. Elijah sets up his, and Elijah goes, you guys go first. Let's see if your God responds. And so for six hours, they start to praise their God. They start to chant. They start to beg their God to bring rain. And six hours in, their God has not shown up. And then one of my favorite parts of scripture, it's okay to be a Christian and talk trash. <laughs> Elijah talks trash. Elijah starts telling him, hey, maybe your, maybe your God can't hear you. Maybe you should be louder. He can't hear you. You got to wake him up. Maybe your God is asleep. He even tells him, maybe your God is on the toilet. <laughs> he says, maybe your God's relieving himself. He's on the toilet. You need to just wait till he's done. It's awesome. They start to chant louder. They start to cut themselves open with knives so their blood comes out on the altar and still nothing happens. Then Elijah goes, okay, I'm tired of watching this joke. Take jars of water, pour it on my altar, on my offering to God. Three times they do this so much so that the bull, the wood that the bull is on, the rocks are soaked with water and the trench around it is filled with water. And Elijah just simply goes, all right, God, Show the people that you are Lord. Take this offering so that they will know you're the one true God. And fire comes down from heaven, burns up the bull, the wood, the rocks, and the trench of water. And the people are like, oh my gosh, that's the one true God. What do we do? And Elijah goes, kill him. 450. If also the, the prophets of Asherah are there, it's 850 prophets killed. 
And Elijah's like, we did it. They're all gonna turn back to you now, God. They're all gonna worship you. Ahab books it back home to go cry to his wife. He tells Jezebel, she writes a note, sends it to Elijah, it's a death threat. And Elijah's terrified and he books it, runs for his life, finds himself under a tree. He's suicidal and depressed, begging God to end his life. And then we see God's response, filled with grace. Elijah, I know you are emotionally, physically, and spiritually exhausted. I know you are completely burnt out. Just get some rest. Here's some food, a cake. Apparently, Elijah was a big cake guy. I imagine if that's God's response, he's bringing on your favorite thing. Mine would be a steak, Elijah cake. Here's cake, here's water, get some more rest. Feeds him twice, gives him rest twice, and then tells him to go to Mount Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai. And that's where God meets him. Verse nine, there he came into a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only am left. They seek my life to take it away. Don't forget, Elijah thinks he's absolutely alone. He said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And before the, behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Notice, before Elijah even exits the cave, God says, hey, exit the cave, go onto the mountain, that's where I'll show up. But before he even exits, God brings hurricane-type winds. Then God brings an earthquake. Then God brings a fire. And for sure, Elijah thought, this is where I'm going to encounter God. It's in this hurricane winds. It's in this earthquake. It's in this fire. Because it wasn't too long ago that he was on Mount Carmel that he saw the fire come down from heaven. It wasn't too long ago that God was feeding him with ravens. Like it wasn't too long ago that God was doing stuff supernaturally. And for sure, Elijah thought, I'm on Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. I am here and I am watching these natural disaster type things happen. I am watching these supernatural things happen back to back to back. For sure, this is how God is going to show up and speak. And he wasn't in any of them. It was a low whisper. And it was filled with grace. Listen, I want the signs and wonders. I want the, I want the supernatural like every kind of signs and wonder type thing in scripture is what I will watch on Netflix when I get to heaven. I just want to watch them happen. Uh, parting of the Red Sea, I just want to see it happen. The, the, the plagues that hit Egypt, I just want to watch them happen. Like I want to see the signs and wonders so badly. And that's what I expect. But if one of you came to me and said, hey, like last night, man, there was, I was praying and there was an earthquake that happened. And that's when God was speaking to me but you're the only human in all of Northern Nevada that felt an earthquake? I'd ask if you had pizza last night, and I'd suggest you had some funny mushrooms on your pizza. The supernatural feels like it would be easy to serve. The supernatural feels like it would just be easier to understand. It would be easier to recognize. 
But notice, God brings those things before Elijah exits, and there's grace in that. And I think there's something he's telling Elijah. Elijah, I know you thought all the supernatural, I know you thought the amazing things that happened at Mount Carmel would change people, would change the heart of the nation. But that's actually not typical. That's actually not usually what does it. Tim Keller says this, God is trying to say, don't look to the spectacular. Mount Carmel isn't really the way I usually do things. You thought everybody's heart was gonna be changed. You thought spectacular answers to prayer. You thought miracles. You thought the dramatic arguments were going to change hearts. They didn't any more than the earthquake, wind, and fire got into you. It couldn't penetrate their hearts any more than it could penetrate you and to get to you inside the mountain. It just didn't do it. Let me tell you what will actually penetrate and change people's hearts. My voice, my word, and my spirit through my word. I think we expect the supernatural encounters. I think we hope for them, we long for them, we dream for them, but yet God usually responds with this grace. Even though it doesn't meet our expectations, there's grace in him saying, hey, Elijah, I know you hoped for this and that. I know you hoped for all this. I know you expected this and that. But Elijah, I'm not done moving. Elijah, you just need to know I'm in control. Because here's where it goes on. In the rest of chapter 19, he will begin to explain to Elijah, your job's not done yet. You're going to go appoint two new kings, one over Israel, one over Syria. You're also going to appoint a new prophet, Elisha. Also, just so you know, Elijah, there are 7,000 people in the nation of Israel who have not turned my back, their back on me. You think you're alone, but you're not. There are 7,000 in the nation who still worship and honor me. You are not by yourself. You're not alone, and I'm still working. He's, he's telling Elijah this, hey, I know what you wanted, and I know what you expected, but you've got to understand, I'm still the one true living God. I'm still in power. I'm still almighty. I am still in control, that, hey, I'm moving when you don't see it. I'm moving when you don't feel it. I am moving in ways you don't expect it. That your expectations isn't how I always show up. Isn't what I'm here for. He gave Elijah one step. Elijah, go appoint two new kings and a new prophet. He didn't give Elijah the rest of the story because then we will read everything and the nation starts to turn back to God after the appointing of those people. You see, I think we expect the earth-shaking encounter, but God comes with the power of his scripture. In, Jesus, in John chapter 5, Jesus it unpacks a lot in John chapter 5, but specifically he will talk about his view on scripture, the authority that scripture has and what scripture really is. In verse 37, it says this, and the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of 
me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Listen, Jesus, there's a lot to unpack in this part. But specifically, I just want to focus on today. Jesus' view of scripture. There are both Christians and non-Christians here in this room and online. You, if you are a non-Christian, you have not put your faith in Jesus and you don't, you don't know why to believe. I think Jesus has the same response for both groups. For the Christian, I don't hear God speaking. For the non-Christian, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't know why I should believe in Jesus. I, don't, I can't believe in Jesus. To both groups, I think Jesus' response is this. Have you looked at the evidence? Have you looked at the testimony, as he says? Have you gone to the place where God speaks? Jesus' view of scripture, we see it in verse 37. You've never heard a thunderous voice. You've never seen his form, yet you have his testimony. You have his word. It's what we call scripture, the Bible. In verse 46, if you believe the scriptures, you would believe me. Jesus is saying this, when you read the Bible, when you read scripture, you are not just simply reading words in a book that was written by man, that this is holy divine scripture. This is God's very words. Here's what Jesus is saying. When you are reading the Bible, you are reading the voice of God. Look at Jesus' ministry. Over and over again in his ministry, he shows his view and understanding of Scripture. Here's what he says over and over and over again. It is written after he's baptized and he goes into temptation in the wilderness. Three times Satan tempts him and three times Jesus' answer, it is written. When Jesus is being captured, Peter wants to take out the sword, fight back. Jesus' response, Peter, stop. Man, I can bring legions of angels down here and stop this. But if I do that, how will the scriptures be fulfilled? When Jesus is carrying his cross up to Calvary and he sees the women weeping and mourning, he says, don't weep for me, weep for you, for it is written when he is on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is quoting Psalm 22 over and over, Jesus says, Scripture has a point. There's a point to all of it. And he says there's a parallel between Scripture and John the Baptist. Because with John the Baptist, people kept coming to John the Baptist going, hey, are you the Messiah? Are you the one? Are you the Savior of the world? And John the Baptist answered over and over and over again, no, I'm not. I am pointing to the one. I am pointing to the one beyond me, the one who is the Messiah, the one who is to come. Jesus says, Scripture's like John the Baptist. And here's what he means. Every word, every rule, every law, every scripture, every passage, every text, everything written in it, all points beyond itself, all points to the one, to him, Jesus Christ. Tim Keller says it this way, here's Isaac, but the true son of laughter of grace is Jesus. Here's Joshua, but the true general of the host of the army of the Lord is Jesus. Here's Jonah, but the true Jonah, the prophet who died for his people, who was in the belly of the earth for three days is Jesus. Here's Moses striking the rock, smiting the rock, and out comes the water so they don't die of thirst. But Jesus is the rock who was smitten, and because of it, rivers of living water flow out of him. He says, Jesus is saying this, listen, you want to hear from God? You want to hear God's voice? Read the scriptures. You want to get to know the truth about me? You want to know me more? You want to encounter me? You don't believe in me? Read the scriptures. Listen, we don't read the Bible for information. We read the scriptures for formation. It is where we both learn and encounter God. But we also are formed by its words, formed by the God who said, this is how I want you to live. 
This is who I want you to be. This is why you only worship me, because we're the only, because Jesus is the only person who can save you. It is in his word that he says, listen, all the rest of the world has these religions that said, here's how you get to me. I will be the one who says, I will come to you, is what we find at the cross. You don't have to come up. I will come down. Love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, kindness, goodness, justice. And the promise that I will come back another day. But here's me speaking. You see, I think we all have these expectations of how we want God to speak or how God will speak in our life. And I don't really think God really meets our expectations. I don't think that's even his goal. If that was God's goal, if God's goal was to meet our expectations, then what we see when Jesus comes into the city before he's betrayed, persecuted, and killed, if God met expectations, Jesus would not have went to the cross. Because as Jesus comes into the city, everybody is chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, save now, destroy Rome, bring Israel back, restore the nation, save us now in this way, bring the government, bring your kingdom now. And if Jesus met expectations, then he would have never went to the cross. But he went to the cross because he wasn't here to meet our expectations. He knew what we needed. He knew what we needed. We didn't need bring your kingdom now. We needed a savior. I think there's three reasons that we miss the voice of God. One of them is busyness. Our life is busy, our world is busy, we are extremely busy. If you are married with kids, you know that is busy. I don't care how old your kid is, somehow your kid has a busy life. Our life is busy. And I think our busyness keeps us from hearing that soft, still voice of God. I also think there's a lot of competing voices in our world. I talked about it earlier. Our world is loud. There's lots of competing voices. And so when you have another voice, it's hard to discern which one is which. You got, you got enough competing voices in your own head. And the third one, I think, is fear. I think there's two things we're afraid of. I think, one, we're either afraid to hear from God because what I might hear is about is convicting. God might have something to say with how I live my life and what I'm doing with my life. And I don't really want to hear that. Think the other fear? I think I'm afraid of if I hear from God, what I'll have to give up. If I hear from God, that's what I'm going to have to do. And I don't really want to do that. You see, I think God is speaking, but we have these expectations. And if we're honest, they're more than just expectations. You know why, God, I need the thunderous voice? You know why I need the clouds to part, sun to come down, and Mufasa to speak? God, you know why I need fire? You know why I need an earthquake? God, because I'm so busy, there's competing voices, and I'm afraid. And God, I don't just expect it. If you don't drown those out, I won't hear from you. Because I don't know how to slow down to hear from you. Because I don't know how to separate your voice versus the world's. Your voice versus mine. And God, I'm terrified of what you're going to say. When I was on the drive, going over that hill down into Washoe Valley, and I had that feeling that I was leaving home, I became terrified. At this moment, my wife and I felt like we were supposed to do or bring a church to Sparks. That's where we live. And at that moment, 
Life Church was not in conversations about doing campuses. So what it meant for me and my wife was I was going to go plant a church. Terrified me. The one thing in ministry I said, I will never do this. I will never plant a church. There are heartbreaking statistics on what church planting does to a pastor, to their marriage, and to their kids. It terrified me. So one thing, I will never do that. And I remember praying to God, going, hey, if this is what you're calling my wife and I into and our family into, we'll do it. But I need more than a whisper, dude. You're not building any confidence inside of me right now. You know I'm absolutely terrified. We sat down with the elders. We pitched our whole plan. My wife, my wife has a master's in marketing, so it was very helpful. <laughs> I talked, she created it to look good. And we sat down with the elders and we explained it all to them. Told them how our vision and what we thought. They were an unbelievable support. They, they, I mean, unbelievable support. And about a month or two later, Pastor Dave calls me, says, hey, can we have a quick meeting with my wife and I? So Bree and I and Pastor Dave and Pastor Greg sit down around a campfire, not a campfire, just the fire pits. Um, and we sit down around those fire pits and they just ask, would you consider doing a campus? And so we had some more conversation about that. It took a couple of months to pray and have conversations. And in that time, I pulled a number of elders aside, one-on-one, -on -one, private conversations with each of them with the same question, why do you want to do a campus? And their response was, church planning is really, really hard. It's hard on you. It's hard on your family. We believe as elders of the church, we believe our responsibility is to do this as best we can with you. We believe God is calling you to do something out there. We believe we should do it with you. And if you want to still plant your own church and you still feel called to do an autonomous church, we are in full support of that. We just believe it's our responsibility to at least explore the option. It was one of the most loving and caring things anybody has done for my family. At the end of the day, my wife and I came back and we prayed a lot and had lots of conversations, pros and cons of all the things. And essentially for us, it was simple. We really believe in church unity. And so we just said, okay, if we really believe in this, well, how do we be examples of it? All right, well, we want to do it today. They're thinking of maybe a longer timeline, but if there's a way for us to work this out and do this together, we should do it together. We love Life Church. We love the friends we have here. And we just believed if there's a way for us to do this together, we should do it together. And that's why we're going to do a campus. Listen, God gave me one step stay in Sparks. He did not tell me at all in the midst of my terror and my fear, my frustration, my lack of Him meeting my expectations. He did not lay out the fact that, hey, I'm also speaking in the elders' lives. I'm also speaking in Pastor Dave's life. I'm also working behind the scenes. I'm moving when you don't see it. I'm moving in ways you don't even expect it. He didn't let me know that, hey, in a few months, in six months, in a year, it's going to turn into a campus that'll ease all your fear. That I actually have a plan for this. He gave me one. A soft, still voice, a whisper that said, 
stay where I put you. And in the midst of that, I have watched God unveil the rest. So here's my thing for you. What causes you not to hear the whisper from God? And do not mistake the whisper of God's voice as if it is not powerful. Do not make the mistake as when you are reading his words, if there's not power in his scriptures. It is what God tells Elijah. The thing that changes hearts and the thing that changes lives is my voice, my word, and my spirit through my word. What's causing you to miss it? Are you just too busy, too many competing voices, or are you afraid of what he might say to you? Let's pray. Lord, I uh, thank you for, Lord, I thank you for Samuel's story, for Elijah's story, for Jesus' words. Lord, I confess that there are times I'm just too busy that I pray and I act like I want to hear you, but I just don't really give you time. I rarely have the response, Lord, speak for your servant is listening. Lord, I confess that there's times that I just have too many competing voices, too much noise that's drowning you out. And most of all, Lord, I confess that there's times I'm afraid to hear what you're going to call me into, what it will mean for me and my family because of what I might have to give up. Lord, I thank you that you are a God of grace and of mercy. And so many times you respond, it's okay, I'm in control. And that you're a God who is faithful, that I can trust that. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us we would, that you would tune our ears to hear from you. Lord, in those moments that we hear the whisper, we would have the response of, Lord, your servant is here. We are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this. And you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.